0: Welcome to episode two, series two of the AMP podcast. I'm joined again by Garrett and Dan. Hello, Beth. Hello. Both. Hello. Uh, this time we're going to be discussing the differences between uh, performance, health, and weight loss, or changes in body composition, whichever way we want to throw it, because these are distinct categories when it comes to what you do with your exercise, uh, with your nutrition, and also with mindset. Um, there is a lot of overlap, but I think there's also a lot of utility to discussing uh, how those things are different and recognizing perhaps when you're using uh, a tool, whether it's the type of exercise you're doing, what you're doing with your food, et cetera, which is more akin to uh, say performance when your goal is actually uh, health or weight loss. So that's what we're gonna do. Try and separate those three, despite the fact it's a lot of over, uh, overlap, and then see if that can be, produce some useful messages. Dan, I suppose if we start with nutrition, in terms of those three, rather than talk about how they're the same, how are they uh, different from one another in terms of what the goals are with nutrition
1: yeah I think the the one that's the most starkly different is weight loss because really health and performance are similar in that it's more of a sort of never ending pursuit in that you can health is a goal for life as is performance potentially if you're you know, an athlete or those kind of things, where it's something you can continue to refine. And it's something that you you kind of want to approach that serves that for the long-term. Whereas weight loss, even though it's not treated this way, is a short-term intervention. Even if that is a year for someone who has a lot of weight to lose, it's still a short-term intervention, uh, which should really be set up and treated as such. So it should be like, this is a particular diet or lifestyle change to achieve weight loss. And then after that, we're moving into something else. And just for any links, really, weight loss is an aspect or can be an aspect of health and it can be an aspect of performance as well. So if someone's overweight and it may improve their health to lose weight or if they're underweight and they wanna gain weight, like there's, an, it belongs within the bracket of health. And equally for performance, it may be that losing weight or changing body composition probably more so can aid performance.
0: Garrett, what about in terms of psychology in that space? Are those three things separate? If so, how are
2: they, how are they sort of different? Yeah, I guess, psychological aspect, yeah. You, you might be thinking, again, the differentiator, probably performance, it's usually, obviously, it may well be something someone's already doing that they want to do better, more effectively. So it might be more about kind of, it's tightening up a process. It's, you know, you're, you're sort of, you're evolving and improving something. So that's going to probably require like a, a different kind of a focus, probably a bit more like, it's a bit sort of tighter, I think. Um, typically with performance, it's going kind to of be more specific. Because it's pretty rare that someone goes, I just want to increase my performance Overall. in life. Yeah. Like, I just want to be, a, well, maybe. maybe yeah. I want to be a high-performing individual, right? Which you might be, but it's probably more likely that someone will, uh, you know, they'll arrive at, like, a, it's, it's more specific, like domain-specific. So it's a kind of a, whether it's sports, you know, they might even break it down to within the performance. They might go on, you know, if they're tennis player, they might go, I want to improve my serve. So it could, you know, it could get quite, quite specific. Or it could be like, I want to be a better tennis player, a better athlete um i you know another performance thing could be something maybe somebody already has so they might be you know i want to improve my ability to speak publicly you know things like that so it can be quite quite specific in that sense um i think with health you know it's probably is a more of a it's broader in that sense that it's you know it's, it's a healthy thing it's it's also i think you know to dan's point um health is going to be more of an ongoing one you'd like to think uh performance might be time limited it could be again i want to get in shape to run a marathon and maybe i just want to do it the once Mm -hmm. so so it may not be may not be ongoing maybe um and then i think again with weight loss you know i guess from my perspective i'd be looking at that obviously very much from like healthy weight loss i guess would be be what i'd be sort of emphasizing and so you know that that would be something that would be done like with a plan you know in consultation probably you know with some with, with an expert um and then as, as Dan said, you know, you're getting someone to that kind of level and then you're moving more into probably maintaining, I'm presuming down, like more maintaining the healthy weight. And so then the, the, that, that evolves. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I think we're, so from an exercise point of view, I think I view,
0: um, I suppose, health eh, as synonymous with maintaining homeostasis. So that sort of sweet spot of having uh, homeostasis is just the control over a certain me- mechanism. Uh, so having the right amount of hydration. You know, can you be over and under hydrated? Yes, but healthy is about having that right level, that sweet spot, that kind of Goldilocks zone for whatever it is that you pick. So, can you over exercise and under exercise? Yes. So there's a sweet spot in the middle. Whereas with performance, uh, it's likely you're going to be overreaching, so you're going to deliberately disrupt homeostasis mm-hmm. uh, in order to create adaptations to increase performance. So from a physiological standpoint, you're actually deliberately looking to uh, give the body a stimulus or an input training stimulus that is going to destabilize homeostasis because what you want is for the body to recognize that it needs to change its abilities to improve its performance, whether that's faster, stronger, whatever it might be, bigger muscles, whatever, wh- whatever that might be. Mm. And then I think for weight loss, the role that exercise plays the way I see it, because there's a lot of chat around uh, what's the most t- effective type of exercise for weight loss. I think it's a bit of an odd question There are certain studies that look at it and say, uh, we found that this type of exercise or this intervention was more effective. But I think what happens its a slightly reductionist view of the way it works. When you put it outside of the study environment, put it into real life, actually the role that exercise plays is an indirect one and the role that nutrition plays really direct. So I think exercise, yes, it can expend calories, which is probably the main thing from a weight loss point of view, that it might contribute, but I think also it's... um, uh, just about helping mindset um, and probably the longevity of weight maintenance post-initial weight, weight loss phase is where exercise realistically does sit. I think rather than viewing it as if you're doing HIIT, uh, that's going to be more effective than doing uh, list. so high-intensity interval training versus doing low-intensity steady-state training. The, the difference between those two types of cardio doesn't in real-world terms actually have, a, um, I think, a meaningful effect on an individual level. Uh, possibly when you look at groups of individuals, that's where some of that research comes from. But actually you find when it, when it comes to being thin uh, mm-hmm. or thinner, you know, the, uh, the, the explanation I would use is there are very thin snooker players. There are very thin 100-meter sprinters. Mm-hmm. There are very thin you know athletes from every single dem- domain of exercise that are lean, mm-hmm. whether it's boxing, sprinting, lifting... You know you can find lean people in every discipline um and so it cannot purely be down to the type of exercise that's being done
1: absolutely agree um it, it's the backdrop of someone's life um is i think where exercise plays a role in it if you've if your backdrop is no activity then just changing if you change that you might find that that actually just even without having to think about the nutrition if the backdrop changes changed so much that it was like oh i'm suddenly getting really into rock climbing so i'm going to be there three or four times a week or i'm going to start i'm going to get bitten by the running bug this happens a lot to people where literally they just become a runner for one of a better term and then they'll lose lots of weight and you know it's not so much that that was even the goal but when you change the backdrop that much with exercise it has a knock-on effect to the kind of foods maybe that you're craving. It, it, it massively affects your energy balance. And it may be that you obviously aren't eating back all of those calories, hence the weight drop. So I think exercise can be when it almost comes in in a sort of um, real changing of the system. You see this with nutrition as well, with things like someone becoming vegan, and they might not do that in order to lose weight. But that's a massive backdrop change as well, because then when you're in the office and the biscuits are going around and you can't eat them because you're vegan, certainly at the start and you haven't g- gone and stopped the cupboards with vegan biscuits that you can <laughs> eat, there's just loads of situations in which you end up eating less and often you'll see weight loss with that. So I think exercise as a, as a backdrop change to lifestyle can be, can be big in it, but you're absolutely right in terms of just sitting down and going, what can I change for weight loss? It, it's really a sort of icing on the cake, as it were thing compared to the nutritional change I would say
0: yeah and with with weight loss nutrition you've got uh calories coming out to create a deficit but with performance quite frequently you're looking to put calories into fuel yeah and that's a significant change I think in terms of the way that
1: mm-hmm.
0: you might approach uh diet changes for either one of those goals um a good example from from my own training is uh taking on endurance exercise in a serious way for the first time sort of last year Um, and training for that, going out on these long bike rides, uh, and eventually up to like three, four, five hours, which is something I'd never done before, so definitely a change of the backdrop. But because I was approaching the nutrition from a performance point of view, so I put I changed breakfast specifically to try to boost performance, off the back of your brilliant advice, Dan. Of course. Um, but, But because that was in there, then there was no weight change at all, which is, I think, what people experience when they go and try to use exercise as a way of losing weight to my point Mm -hmm. earlier it's it's that you will compensate i was compensating deliberately but i think there's compensation uh, subconsciously that happens when you up your activity level presumably appetite also increases
1: well this is always what comes back to which is if your body's working correctly then it will try and match energy intake for expenditure as you say with homeostasis, it's trying to keep you at the same weight If anything, you know, we've got defenses in place to prevent weight loss and to actually prevent weight gain. But those defenses to prevent weight gain are less substantial. We're happier to gain weight. And this is, you know, from an evolutionary point of view, which is that forever losing weight was not a good thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if anything, we want to be robust against losing weight. Gaining weight, not so much a problem because the assumption is that we'll probably be in periods of not a lot of food around and there'll be weight loss again, so it's not such a problem. But we have defenses in both ways, which is just when you eat a lot, you get full. When you eat not a lot, not enough, then we have hunger. And then equally with activity level, if you're dieting aggressively, then your energy levels going to be down, you're going to be fatigued, you're going to burn less calories. And you know, in extreme situations, you'll burn less calories even at rest. So you'll get some metabolic sort of slowing as well of energy expenditure. So we know this exists. So if you start running more, you're going to get hungrier, you're going to eat more. When these things, these defenses get overridden is just when you go beyond what your body can get you to compensate for. So I always think a good example of this with obesity is if you've got a 10-year-old watching TV, working his way through a two-liter bottle of Coke, it's like that's just such a huge amount of calories coming in in such a non-filling not even food, you know, in liquid form, that whatever the body's trying to do to offset that, it's just not going to be enough to override that crazy amount of calories coming in. And equally, if you're training for a marathon and you're doing, you know, miles and miles a week, um, it's going to be tough to actually offset that with, uh, with eating. You'll be hungry, you'll eat more, but you probably won't eat enough to quite offset it.
0: Garrett, from your point of view, you mentioned previously about removing something, Mm-hmm. versus putting something in and how easy it is to then stick to those goals where you're trying to add something in. That's got to play into a weight loss mindset is that if you if you adopt that mindset with weight loss of I'm going to remove all of these things mm-hmm. that I enjoy, but don't then replace them with anything, that's surely got to be onto you. You're onto a short
2: short-term thing there. It's definitely harder, yeah. And I think especially... You know, in, in terms of where the, you know, what's sort of driving the, the wish for the weight loss, so is that you know is that more like a performance aspect, or is it more actually because maybe someone is, you know, they recognise they're not a healthy weight, they want to do something about it. But you know, in part, some of the reason they may have, they've got to that point is that actually, the food may be playing an emotional role. You know, so it's not they're not just eating for nutrition, right? Like it's not, I'm not just I'm not sort of going, I need to get my calories in, and the problem is that I'm just kind of taking on more calories. Than, than I need, right? So it's, it's not sort of just the education thing. It's it's more that kind of emotional, that sort of emotional eating, which I think you're everybody, I'd be really surprised if there's, if there's anyone out there who's never had that experience where they've just wanted to go for a snack or something. Maybe they're feeling a bit stressed or a bit annoyed about something or maybe a bit down, you know? And you, you see it like in TV shows all the time. There's always a character with a tub of ice cream or something, you know, they've had like the breakup mm. and they've just got the spoon and they're getting into the ice cream. Um, so I think that that can absolutely play a part. So you if, if that's almost in a way become my way of soothing myself or it's become a, a, you know, something might call like a coping mechanism. Then, you know, to feel like that's been taken away from me, if I'm not getting something to replace that with, that's a hard thing, right? It's it's like you're taking my safety from me.
0: Is this a bit like smoke? Mm -hmm. If somebody's smoking, for instance, Mm -hmm. and they try to quit smoking and then, but the cigarette is such a normal part of everyday life when they're stressed out, have a break, that then they've got nothing to do with their hands. You know, they've got fidgety hands.
2: Yeah yeah and there could be other things i mean the smoking you know you know back in the day when when people were consistently say going to an office maybe five days a week or into the workplace you know there, there's other things like the smoking is you know that gets me away from the desk i get to meet some fellow smokers who might be friends colleagues chance for a bit of organizational gossip catch up you know mm. there's, there's a lot of things you can be getting from it i think that's that's a tricky thing for people you know just if you were going to stick on cigarettes for a second is that if you sort of say to somebody well, like what's good about smoking you know what? You might the kind of the reflex answer you get from a lot of people would be like, "Well, nothing." But actually, if you look at it, it'd be very surprising if they're not getting something from it, because we don't we don't do things for no reason, right? It has to be on some level giving you something. Now, it might be a short term thing it's giving you that's then got a longer term consequence, but it's going to be giving you something. And so, in a way, then to stop, you know, there probably will be a part of the person that feels like something's been taken from them. But this is again about that ability to kind of reframe and actually understand that if it's linked to something meaningful to you, then actually you're gaining something. Right. I, it's, not, you know, it's not so much you're taking something from me, so I'm gaining something else. I might be gaining fitness. I might be gaining improved lung capacity. I might be gaining, you know, my skin's going to improve. I'm going to feel better myself. You know, it's, it's that kind of reframe. Now, that can take a bit of time for people to, to work on that, but I think that, that can be one way to, you know, respond to that sense of actually having something taken from us.
1: Yeah, you, and it, no, go on, there's that kind of um, breaking the inertia aspect of it to, to your point with cigarettes it's like someone who smokes will be functioning better in their life while they are smoking mm-hmm. than in the first couple of weeks of taking that away everything will be feeling harder and they'll mm-hmm. probably be irritable and might not even be able to think as clearly but then it's like with time what you'd imagine is actually a lot of that would get even better <laughs> similar with exercise, Ross, when you think about Form. If someone has a, fo- like, say they're bench pressing, say with flared elbows, press ups with flared elbows, and it's like, all right, we want to maybe change that a little bit into a position that's a bit more optimal to get more pecs involved or whatever, but it's like they're going to be stronger in that technique they've been using for quite a while uh, until you've reworked them into a different position that then eventually they will be stronger at. So there's like a glass ceiling on how well you can perform in a certain way. So weight loss is similar, right? So if someone's overweight, their running capacity is gonna be impaired by their weight. Mm-hmm. But if they go into an extreme diet, their running will get worse because now they'll be in a big old deficit and it's gonna be harder to produce energy. But if they, if they lose weight, then eventually the running will be better because at the minute there's a glass ceiling on it. Yeah. So I think with any change like this, there will be that period where at first things are worse just just because of the change. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's that attribution error, isn't it, of what's what's, um, what's making this worse? And and that, one of the things about, um, I think, weight loss, the mindset of weight loss is patience. Mm-hmm. Uh, with exercise, you get fairly immediate feedback from an exercise because you're in it in the moment. So you're doing repetitions of exercise, uh, of a movement, and your body is telling you how that feels at that particular time. But I think the thing with dieting, potentially in terms of the The mindset towards it is just that delayed gratification that's required. Mm -hmm. So you can eat a meal that fits in really well with your current approach to weight loss and would in the long term, if strung together with other meals of a like sort, be successful. But you don't immediately look down and your waistband has changed. Mm -hmm. So you really have to then steel yourself to trust the process and say, oh, this is that was that was a win. That's still doing a good thing, but it hasn't immediately had an impact.
1: Right. And and also, this is more to that point that weight loss is the outlier of these, because it, to use the smoking analogy, it weight loss is the period of time where you have the withdrawal symptoms from the, the cigarette, and then weight maintenance and a healthy diet and lifestyle for the rest of time is the I've recovered from smoking addiction, mm-hmm. because. You know, performance and weight loss are completely inverse on the spectrum of what they're not compatible with each other. The only way in which they're compatible is if you first address weight loss in isolation and then your performance will be better when you return to fueling properly to perform. If in any sport, if a, if an athlete needs to lose weight to perform better, they'll be doing that entirely in the off season. There's no athletes that are competing in, whether it's in football, in the season, or whatever it is, that are actually competing in a deficit.
0: Yeah, because you see that in boxing, they, when they get that wrong, that making weight process beforehand can take a good fighter, put them, put them in a, a poor state of performance because they're essentially in a weight loss approach with their exercise, in the sauna, sweating it out, losing water, mm. losing weight by not eating. And then what you see is the knock-on effect on the performance is always detrimental. Yeah. What,
1: uh, combat sports are a, a slight anomaly in this, mm. in that the and it, to be honest, I, I personally watch a lot of combat sports, and I think it's something that actually should be addressed because the nature of that of, of the way it works with the weight classes is that everyone is fighting a hell of a lot lighter than they walk around at, and it, it's kind of this self-fulfilling loop where it's like you want to. Because there's two aspects, isn't there? There's the weight loss in the camp to get trim and lean, but then what they're doing in terms of basically dehydration before the fight. So they're losing kilos and kilos and kilos in that week before the fight. So as then they weigh in, 24 hours later, they rehydrate, and they're 10 kilos heavier. And they have a weight advantage over their opponent. Yeah, but the problem is they both are doing the same thing. (laughs) So what you then get is two athletes going in who are both 10 kilos, seven, 10 kilos above what the weight class is, but they're both also just absolutely battered themselves for a week and they're completely depleted. And yeah, you'll get fights that swing because someone just had a really nasty cut, as they call it. And then they're coming back and just a complete mess. You would surely much rather see two fighters fighting at their best, mm. which would not be doing that complete depleting process. Now, I appreciate we're in the weeds a little bit with this, but you see it, there's some few, but some fighters that fight more at their natural weight. And their argument is, yeah, I'm giving up a bit of a weight advantage but I'm actually gonna be all there in the ring rather than just completely, you know, cause this though that also just generally from a, he- talk about health, like that stuff is extremely dangerous. Those weight cuts for mm. the UFC and for, for boxing and things like that. Um, but that is probably just a further point to this thing where health and performance um, can sometimes be in conflict with each other at the highest end of performance, but certainly weight loss and health and performance are in are in conflict. I mean just to speak to it to a minute on in terms of health, there's a there's a big misconception, I think, that oh I'm gonna try and lose weight and eat healthy and all of this. It's like it's it's tougher. It's actually quite difficult to have for a lot of people a diet which is well-rounded and really healthy when you're also trying to minimize calories. The time to have the healthiest diet is one where you can fuel your body properly where you can include, you know, oils and avocados and a lot of these foods, nuts, you know, that get given a bad name for weight loss because they're quite high in calories. It's like when it's weight maintenance, then we can focus more on having all of that. Where sometimes for weight loss, it's it's actually not even that conducive with being able to eat as healthily as you would like to mm. because of the calorie restriction.
0: Yeah, it's I suppose that does vary slightly because if you are a large, muscular, very active male who's Maintenance calories just to maintain your body weight and therefore maintain a healthy balance is much higher say like 2500 calories versus a small female where it could be sub 2000 calories on a daily basis if you need the same number of micronutrients minerals vitamins in that diet in order to lose weight you're going to have to sacrifice I mean, arguably, that larger male could sacrifice some of the foods that are less nutrient-dense, which has less of an impact on their health, whereas the small female, the petite female,
1: is... You just don't have that wiggle room. Yeah, that's absolutely right. There's, you know, there's aspects to it. You'll often hear, oh, it's all relative, and it's like there's aspects of that that's true. So a petite female will actually need less in terms of micronutrients compared to a 100-kilo rugby player. So there's aspects of that. Where... Where it really falls down is this idea of lifestyle-friendly diets and, and social stuff. So, okay, let's just use numbers and say a woman trying to lose weight on 1,500 calories versus a man on 2,500. Where it's all relative is if they're both having chicken, broccoli, and rice dinners, um and the woman's is say 400 calories and the man's is maybe 750 on that it's like okay, that's kind of all relative with hunger with what you need protein content micronutrient content you could probably go that's all relative but when say these are partners and they go out to dinner together and they both order a main dish from the menu and have a couple of glasses of wine and that's going to be 1500 calories each at that point that's when it's not all relative, because that 1,500-calorie meal is the entirety of the woman's diet for the day, Mm -hmm. whereas for the man's, he could have had a lighter breakfast, a thrifty 500-calorie lunch, and still be within a calorie allowance for that. So it's more that, and, and that is a big deal because having being able to do things like that to include foods that you enjoy or social activities that you enjoy is a massive part of a sustainable approach to weight loss. And so, yes, when you're a petite woman or less active the more you marginalize your calorie intake, you often end up in a situation where if you're trying to eat healthily, that's gonna use up most of your calorie budget,
0: mm.
1: probably at least 12, 1200 to get everything you'd need. And then you've got only a little bit of wiggle room. So you either do that and have quite a clean eating diet. Strict, really yeah, strict. strict. Yeah, real strict, or you go the other way and go, I'm just gonna make the calories work. And then you end up with a really poor quality diet because then it's like well i want to include some chocolate so i don't go crazy i want to have a glass of wine with the girls at the weekend and it's like all right you might hit the calories but you're going to have to then squash the amount of nutrient dense foods mm. you're having whereas at weight maintenance if that woman's then able to eat 2200 calories because we're doing some exercise like the lifestyle backdrops change a little bit then you can still fit that budget of some alcohol some foods you enjoy but you've got you know 1700 calories worth that you can have on the nutritious healthy stuff right yeah so yes
0: okay i wonder i just as you were talking then dan there's there's some element to which you're imposing limitations on yourself when you're losing weight so you're having to put rules in place um in terms of parenting yourself and those two dynamics of sort of parent and child and one telling you know sort of imposing limitations on the other and sort of telling them what the right thing to do is that seems to be happening within within somebody who wants to lose weight there's a sort of element of which you've been continuing on in a certain way and behaving a certain way and then all of a sudden you sort of split off and say I'm now going to impose controls upon myself I don't know what the question is, and I've said it in a very unarticulate way. But mm-hmm. if you could take some of the terms that I've used, try to extract some sensible psychological question from it,
2: and then talk me through that, I'd be much appreciated <laughs> So I ask myself my own question. Is that, yeah, like politicians. Can you do it. that? Can so you? The question yeah, you ask, can you reframe me, yeah, the question yeah. I was asking in a more <laughs> b- articulate way? Uh, I'll, I'll see. I'll do my best. Thanks. Yeah. So I think absolutely. I think again, it's going to context is going to be a big thing, and what's going on for the person is going to be going very tremendously from, you know, person to person. Um, in general, though, yeah, I think this idea of actually if we're trying to change something um, and, and if, 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 you know, there's, there's a part of me that sort of feels like, oh, you know, this is my fault or I've overindulged or whatever it might be, um, that, that could actually lead to us being kind of quite harsh or punitive towards ourselves. So I think really, you know, what, this is, you know, phrasing kind of, it's banded around a lot, but it's re- this is really the kind of time for some self-compassion. And that's the way to understand it. So thinking about that idea that, you know, if there's kind of an internal parent, if there's a part of me that's essentially trying to maintain some kind of uh, process, you might say maintain, maintain a bit of structure. If you want to see that more as like an adult, that what you really want to be on the lookout for is that it's not punitive. So you want to catch that, you know, if it's, if it's overly harsh, if you're overly kind of, you know, critical of yourself. Um, because what we tend to find is when that's when that's the case, it, it tends to be sort of demotivating. So there's a real, this sort of idea, you know, this sort of, is it the carrot or the stick approach? You know, do I, do I, you know, get my results by giving myself a really hard time by being super strict on myself? Any setback or if, if you want to call it failure is sort of like unforgivable. But what you tend to find is that's when people are more likely to give up. Right? They just kind of, they just, they just beat themselves down to the ground. Whereas the, whereas the paradox is the person who's actually able to be kind of kinder to themselves, more nurturing. Um, it's, if you think about it, like, it's like having a really nice teacher or like a really nice coach versus a teacher you're like afraid to speak to, you know, um, that sort of idea. So what you tend to find is with, with actually the self-compassion, the kind of the going easy on yourself, the sort of forgiving kind of setbacks, understanding you're human, you're fallible, making mistakes as part of any, well, it's part of being alive really, like, but it's part of any journey. Um, understanding that, you know, it's, it's consistency over time is what's going to get you there. Uh, so, so that sort of ability to be, you know, be kind to myself, be nurturing to myself, as opposed to being harsh. When you're nice and kind to yourself, what you actually do is you create a sense of safety within yourself. And when you feel safer, you're more likely to be curious. You're more likely to approach things. Right? Whereas if you if you create like you know too much of a kind of self pressure, too much anxiety. Not that people are doing this intentionally, by the way. Um, but when this happens, if we start to feel sort of unsafe, what you tend to get is you get more withdrawal. You get you, you kind of pull away. So the paradox in a way is that, you know, self-compassion actually is, you know, being self compassionate to yourself is resilience training. That's the piece you want to recognize. So actually, the more compassion I am with myself, I actually get more resilient. And so I'm I'm better able actually to approach things. I'm better able to sustain things that are challenging.
0: Because you're more likely to move towards them because you don't feel unsafe about making mistakes. Is that right? Exactly. Mistakes are forgivable. So I can make them. You see um I love the videos of the marshmallow test mm-hmm. and if people listening haven't seen it you should 100% go on YouTube and watch this yeah. because they in that test they put a marshmallow or a sweet or something in front of a child and then the adult leaves the room mm-hmm. and you just get to watch this like the range of emotions and thoughts that the kids go through and they're told not to touch the thing, right? And so some kids just wait, the door closes and they just go bang. Straight away. Nobody's watching me. I'm going to do what I yeah. want to do, which is I'm going to take this. And then other kids will try and sit on their hands. And, you know, there's sort of like looking in the window when they're going to be yeah. back, you know, checking to see if they're going to get told off. Does that inner child stuff play out when you're an adult inside your own mind? Massively. Yeah. Well, you know, I just think about weight loss with nutrition mainly in terms of temptation mm-hmm. and giving in to temptation. I just again i haven't asked a question i just was hoping that yeah, you massive. massively I'm, I'm,
2: I'm actually i'm sure that, you know dan, dan can also pick up a lot of this because it's going to be a combination you know there's going to be the psychological but there's going to be the physiological as well because mm-hmm. you know we do end up with kind of cravings for things and you know just with the body's biochemistry and things like that like obviously mm-hmm. if, if we're feeling you know stressed or anxious you know our system tends to go more for high energy food right so there's more of a draw towards you know kind of sugary things and stuff like that so that 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 bit sort of that's the sort of physiological aspect, but I think the two of them are so intertwined. It's tricky to sort of go, when does, when does one starting the other to the beginning? But I think being aware of both and actually working mm. on both is, is a way forward.
1: Uh, yeah, I think the inner parent thing is really fascinating. And I'd love to t- touch a little on that. Just just to the point with nutrition in this. And Russ, you're probably a better place to talk about it in terms of the neurology of this, but I think something I try and articulate to clients is if we accept that there's more than one person in the brain essentially right so we have different parts of our brain that are governing different things and different feelings so just in a kind of zoomed out view there's the you that wants to lose weight and we you know, can sit down you can write that in january or you know you, you know that's you but then equally in the moment when the marshmallow or the invitation to go out drinking or whatever is there it's almost a different you which is the impulsive i want that now brain which is talking and doing that decision and what it seems to be is that that brain is very very difficult. That That's the will that's when people go, oh, I've got no willpower. It's like that aspect of the brain struggles with willpower. And I know you talk a lot Gary, about the environment that you're in and you create this environment and it's like if there's chocolate in the fridge. I mean, I've done this game before where it's like, it's all going to go that day, but I will painfully drag it out of each time I'm eating a bit. It's like, oh, and it's like, you might as well just sit down and eat all of it because it's definitely all going to go because it's in the fridge. So, and again, it's that impulsive brain that you're battling with. Something I try and talk to clients about is put the put the willpower on the on the part of you at the earliest stage in that process so for example when you're in the supermarket the only willpower you need is not putting them in the trolley in the supermarket because if they don't end up in your house you're not then faced with the later you that's going to be sitting there hungry after work going to the cupboards and there they are yeah if you can put the so so it's like when you're in your strongest place which is you've just had a lunch so you're not hungry shopping you're in the supermarket now doing your shop for the week this is when we need willpower to make the decisions to do it then, not relying on it happening later when you're surrounded by these things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so your point about the, the inner parent, I try and do it in my own life like this. So I've always struggled with getting up early in the morning to do things. And even if it's the gym, you know, I used to go to the gym at 10 o'clock at night after a long day at work, still have the willpower to go to the gym, but I've never been able to set the alarm earlier than I need to get up and go to the gym. So... Now that I'm scheduling my clients, I have a few clients that like to train at 7 a.m. in the morning. And when I'm booking those in, my diary, and I go, right, Thursday, 7 a.m. start, and my next client might be at 10, I know I'm going to really begrudge getting up at 7 a.m. that day. But when I'm booking it in, I feel great about it because I know I'm going to have a really productive day. Mm Because there's no way I'm going back to bed after that client, so I'm going to be doing my work, I'm going to be getting on top of things. So when I'm booking it in, it's the parent almost going, this is good for you to book this client in. I don't need to book them in at that time. But by putting them in there, I know that, yeah, I'm going to hate getting up, but that day is going to be better for it. And yeah. that's the same decision as going, I'm going to subscribe to HelloFresh or I'm going to get a load of these cook meals in the fridge. So when I come in on a Thursday, it's not, oh, I've got nothing in, order delivery, it's, I've got a meal that I paid for sitting there, just need to stick it in the oven. Mm-hmm
0: yeah I think that I mean that dichotomy has been alluded to over time in different ways in so many different stories I mean having a devil on your shoulder you know angels and devils that kind mm-hmm. of split has been historically the context I suppose religion weighs in on that kind of idea as well nowadays in terms of what I'm studying currently you talk about it in terms of maybe at neuroanatomy you'd look at like prefrontal cortex being excitability being associated with planning and that, that sort of pragmatism. <laughs> made up a new word pragmatism um, whereas the limbic system would be a more kind of emotional part of the brain which you perhaps would describe as being more impulsive and that sort of stuff um, it's been described as the elephant and the rider you know was, when you're the rider you're sort of setting the course and the direction and everything but once the elephant starts going what is the rider going to do to wrestle back control it's very difficult uh, I think Kerry Evans who was a chappy word with the All Blacks he, he referred to it in terms of uh, blue mind, red mind. You know, red. The red mist descending means you're not kind of making clear judgments and decisions, and using little tactics to get back into to blue mind to 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 think clearly. Um, I think Clive Wood. I use a lot of rugby analogies because <laughs> Clive Wood was a teacup, so thinking clearly under pressure. So he talked about that sort of bringing people back into the moment to be able to think clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there was another one as well but there there are loads of uh, Old Chimp Paradox is another -hmm. another classic sort of popular science book that refers to a sort of chimp brain being the one who's uh, a bit more
1: wild and so that's just a build on some of those it, it, that's the kindness to yourself I think which is almost accepting where your weaknesses are for want of a better mm-hmm. term which is like okay I know that I'm going to struggle with this chocolate in the fridge the kindness in a way is going well don't put your future self as it were in that situation mm-hmm. when you've still got the blue mind or the, the kind of rational brain in charge it's like make the decisions then that are going to help you when you're going to be in those tough positions and this is why I often when we're like planning the week ahead with clients it's like Plan your social events at the start of the week. So, okay, what am I? Don't just slowly drift towards the weekend not knowing what's going to happen because that's when it's the Thursday and it's like, oh, we're all going down the pub. Do you want to go? And you can go, okay, yeah, sure. And then it's, oh, I forgot. Actually, I'm seeing friends on Friday and I've got a roast on Sunday. And then it's actually, that's too much. Whereas if you'd already planned it out and said, I know I've got this on Saturday. I know I've got this on Sunday. Those are the two for this week. I've got my meal planned on Thursday. It's easier to go, actually, this decision now is bigger than just, do I want to pine? It's, actually I've got a plan for this week and this isn't in it right now. And you can pull back to that.
0: That's interesting. Because when you then look at the differences between weight loss, which you alluded to, and performance, performance inherently is inseparable from pressure because there is pressure to perform and it's how you handle that pressure uh, and what your abilities are from a physical standpoint, your physical abilities, can you actually handle that situation? Uh, usually better than somebody else as well as usually your direct comparison a competitive comparison whereas with weight loss a lot of the time if it is unwound by put too much pressure that's where the mindset is definitely different because you're looking to use these tactics to take pressure off yourself so that you can be clear about what you're trying to achieve mm-hmm. as soon as the pressure ramps up then you start making those impulsive decisions and usually they lead to you know sort of binge you know, binges or or, or, um, breaking your diet, you know, that kind of idea that you've sort of cheated on the diet. Um, And so from, I was just thinking about when you were talking about from an exercise point of view, more about performance and the way that it's, the way that you would organize training differently. And I think the thing is for weight loss, because exercise takes that slightly more of a back seat, and it's a supplementary thing to try and encourage to to make the dieting easier. Um, it aligns quite nicely with health because there's no need to really push the adaptations. So the structure of it can be very much alongside along the lines of, if you do feel really tired when you're trying to lose weight and you don't feel like doing a big session, actually you can just go for a walk, yeah. and that will still be that will still help to move you towards your goal, but it won't it won't be detrimental for your health. The rigidity of performance from a physical standpoint is there's a program we're looking to try and peak at this particular moment. We're trying to get your physicality to its absolute optimum right before a match, right before a fight, right before whatever it might be, whether it's a, a race or you know. So we're trying to do everything in a structured, formulate, uh, form, for, uh, sort of formatted way, which doesn't really line. It doesn't line up with that idea of like. the whim of how you're feeling on that day. Mm. And that's where I think we get the rhetoric around discipline, around, you know, all the things that are not Mm. self-compassionate, almost ignoring or trying to push to one side. Uh, Anything that doesn't, um, I'm gonna forget which rowing team it was now. Let's go with Redgrave, it must be, it's gotta be. They just said anything that makes the boat go faster. And I'm sorry to whoever that was if it wasn't Redgrave, he has <laughs> stolen you because i can't quite remember but it was kind of that thing that mindset of anything that makes it go faster will do and anything that makes the boat go slower we won't do yeah. so that that's a depersonalization or, or like a deprioritization of your health your work you know in, in favor of performance yeah
1: yeah if i just add to that I think, I think when we're talking about physical performance then so in terms of yeah athletics the 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 scale goes weight loss is a is a requirement below general health and then peak performance is is a kind of above general health in a sense which is that being obese or overweight to the point of health detriment is below general health is that it's, at, it's at a lower tier than that you need to address that first to be generally healthy then with performance the more you move towards peak performance in one particular discipline and being the absolute best at it, you move further away from holistic health. Mm. So that's that's where the division is. Health sits in the middle. You can't perform well unless you've not already ticked all of those boxes of health. You have to have a healthy diet, sleeping well. All of that's ticked. And then actually what you're pursuing, depends how far you go. If you just want to be you know, good in the gym, whatever, you can probably still have all your general health ticked and then some. If you want to go to being the best in the world at something, Even if it's mental health, Mm -hmm. right, or relationships with family, or holistic stuff, you probably end up sacrificing aspects of general health to get there. The reason weight loss is so disparate to that is because, really, with weight loss, you're starting at a position where the the reason you can do that without even eating healthily is because it's below general health. If you're overweight, obese, you know, it's that is almost a a health issue in itself. So it's a bit like if someone had. A bit like smoking, for example, or a bit like, it, you know, if you had a health condition brought on by smoking, it'd be like, well, let's address the smoking first, that's the primary thing, and then we can look at the rest of your health. So, yeah, absolutely, performance goes beyond health and it needs your basic health things to already be 100%, and then you actually start to move almost away from that.
0: Yeah. And there are different programs of exercise that you would look at, and I think from a health point of view, you get this there's an idea of a daily undulating program design or periodization. It's just sort of fancy way of organizing a training where you've got this idea that you sort of do an intense bit of training and then you recover and then you do an intense bit of training. So it looks like a wave almost, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, across the week. And that, you can just keep going with that. That's that's why it's really good for general population. It's really good for health um, because you're never really getting so much fatigue from exercise that you're damaging your health. But you can make progress over time with that model for sure. Um, And it's quite fun as well because Mm -hmm. some sessions are hard, some are easy and there's enough variation to keep it mentally stimulating without being physically overwhelming. Whereas you look at some of the periodization models for performance and you've got this increase in intensity which which takes you from something that's inside your comfort zone at, at the beginning where you're doing quite a lot of base technique, you know, you're building whatever your sport or event might be. You're looking at your technique, you're looking at you know, getting the equipment right, you, you know, looking at building up miles in the legs or whatever it might be, and then gradually, week by week, you know, in, in 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 a sort of step format, things get more and more intense. Recovery's harder now. You start to have to look at recovery strategies. You have to measure things to make sure you're not putting someone in a dangerous position. You know, you're not overtraining. You're not going to damage someone. Not going to pick up an injury the intensity of both managing the program and also the the person who's going through it ramps right up into what's called an overreaching phase, which is definitely where it's detrimental for health. Because now at this point, the person is deliberately not recovered. You're deliberately pushing the boundaries of what their body can achieve. And you're putting them back into training sessions, exercise sessions when they're fatigued. And that's when you start to see that, uh, other the other athletes or other people drop off at that point either because they don't have the right support in place they don't have the mindset the resilience to be able to do that you start needing all of these additional skills in order to outperform other people who at that point start to drop off because their health is suffering so that's the weird thing about performance mm-hmm. is the height like you said the higher you go the more those things get sacrificed because the harder you're pushing and then you've got this interesting phase just before performance where you do something called tapering off And and they can be different lengths, but that's where you reduce the uh, exercise intensity and frequency back down to something that's recoverable easily for the athlete. And at that point, the interesting thing for me is, and where I love geeking out, is that the body is then super compensating by creating these adaptations uh, right down to the cellular level so that you are reducing, essentially what the body is reducing, is reducing inefficiencies. That's essentially what it boils mm-hmm. down to. So if a muscle fiber isn't capable of being able to produce the contraction that's needed to lift a certain weight, certain mechanisms within that muscle fiber will supercompensate and adapt so that the cell behavior changes and then the organism behavior changes so that it can, it can then meet the demands of what... But, but in order to do that, you have to place those demands on someone so frequently mm-hmm. that the body to separate it out and humanize it slightly assumes that it's gonna be a requirement Mm -hmm. for survival, basically. Mm -hmm. So you're looking at putting somebody in, essentially what is was a sort of survival state, Mm -hmm. which nowadays in modern life, we don't do very often. We've got a lot of creature comforts, you know? So we don't need to do that. So I think that's why for me at the higher levels of high performance physically, you have to look at nutrition, you have to look at mindset because they're the skills that are required to keep you training, keep you pushing that far
1: it comes back a bit to this thing about the inertia changing right which is that of the two really weight loss and performance come out as looking as the two hard ones because really if you're already in good health the habits to keep that it is this you know you could do some daily undulating stuff you know as long as you get in a bit of bit of cardio in, bit of weight training in, progressive overload. It doesn't actually really need to be there. If the goal is to just maintain where you are, it's just hitting some weights, doing some running, eating the kind of food you enjoy. You should have plenty of calories to play with if you're quite active. It, that's quite a nice picture. Moving to it from a different place is difficult and moving away from that comfort of all is good, body's happy, to make the body unhappy, to adapt for this really high performance. That's also the difficulty. So it's as we were kind of saying with the smoking analogy, it's moving from one thing to another, which is hard. But weight loss and performance exist on either side of the general health where we should really be aspiring to be is that kind of healthy comfort zone.
2: And again, I think there's, a, there's something around sustainability as well. You know, it's, uh, it's, everything we're talking about is to degrees. I guess like, it's like to, to, to what degree am I looking to perform? Because I think, you know, it is possible to perform at a high level and do it in a healthy way. You've just got to be aware that like when it starts to tip. So, you know, with exercise, for example, it's like does somebody start to feel an injury coming on and then they just push through it? And then, you know, disaster strikes, because you often hear that a lot. You know, it's like someone goes, the knee just went, just like popped. And then, all right, okay. Has there been any discomfort? And they go, yeah, like a couple of weeks. And they say, right, okay. So, you know, there's that that kind of idea where you you, send, and this is, I think, where the the, sort of psychological aspect comes in is actually understanding that, you know, in a way, if you want something too bad, if you actually want it at all costs, you're not actually being kind to yourself. Because the likelihood is, I mean, I mean, there's going to be some caveats to that, but the likelihood is, is that you'll probably do yourself an injury. You'll probably end up with the opposite result if you push too hard. There has to be some restraint. it has got to be some restraint, yeah. yeah. But,
0: have, e- but it's, it's almost, it, with performance, you've got to have enough restraint to protect yourself. But if you want to win, you've got to have less restraint than the person you're competing
2: against, which is a really hard thing to achieve. It, I, I, depends. it probably depends on what it is, though, right? Like, what type of performance are you talking about? Like, is it, is it a pure athletic event or is it more like, say, a football match, where, you know, you can use experience, you know, you can read the game more effectively. So you actually, although a player might be older, they read the game more effectively. They know where to be. And so, you know, they're essentially they're out thinking yes yeah, so players and so what yeah. we see a lot of them what they do is it's that kind of energy expenditure i mean i think if, you, if a lot of people watch probably Messi in the world cup he just looked <laughs> like he was walking around the park you know he looked he's kind of more like he's playing chess you know and i know i appreciate you know I'm not, I'm not a football expert and i know that people sort of you know the team was kind of set up to really set up around him to kind of compliment him but it's quite interesting you know he's not just running from one end of the pitch to the other because he's like i'm not i'm not going to be the fittest guy i'm going to be gone I'm, I'm basically for me to perform at the highest level is to kind of read the game to pick those moments you know? so mm. it depends like how you how you sort of unpack performance well, I, w-
1: I would say whether it's Messi or anyone else that sort of being the senior statesman on the pitch mm. kind of thing it it comes with uh, that's been earned there would have been periods of time when he was exploiting his pace more and things sure. like that when he when he was but I think that to your point Russ about you have to be I don't know what the less restrained than your opposition kind of point is if we're literally talking about the top level performance in anything, whether that's in like the tech industry or whether it's in sports, you, you have to factor that no matter how gifted someone is or how talented they are, how intelligent they are there's a lot you know from 8 billion people there's a pool of of people that are all very very good and the ones that are happy to sacrifice every other aspect of their life are of course going to outperform people that are like well no I want to get home in time to mm-hmm. see my kids or whatever it is right and the same with i guess messi and most of these football players like it would probably be tough to question that they didn't give everything hence they are the best mm-hmm. right and so I think it would be hard to make a case for any athlete who's literally the best in the world that it's a sort of holistic mindset towards that training because because almost by definition, if they haven't given a hundred percent, someone else would have done and they'd be better than them. Yeah. But but just just the last one, I think we should probably, we're not talking to that really when we're talking about performance. If we're talking about people having performance goals in the gym or people performing well at work, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of this can just fall under health, really.
0: Optimization of health. Because where I think I've seen the performance mindset applied in a slightly terrifying way to health is, and I'm going to forget his name, but there's a chap who's a billionaire who's basically dedicated his entire life now to... uh, Health optimization, longevity, mm-hmm. um, and I. I yeah, I know remember.
1: exactly who you I mean. I forgotten the name as well.
0: Yeah, and he might be quite easy to find on the internet if people want to check him out. He but
1: looks about thirty-five, and he's or twenty-five, and he's fifty or something, isn't it? Yeah. Anything, yeah. So this has
0: kind of gone. It, it's very interesting, but yeah. I, I don't envy him. But he's having scans. He's working with an entire team of people. He's got a setup that mirrors high performance. And I think the thing with high performance is because you're pushing yourself outside of what is capable for an individual to perform to to achieve you need a higher amount of resources around Mm -hmm. you the further you go so the formula one teams you know the guy isn't a driver and a mechanic and he's not screwing the wheels on Mm -hmm. himself there's an entire team of people and there's finance and there's technology and there's all every possible avenue to uh, achieve a higher level of performance is explored and invested in in order to see if it gives you a better edge. So obviously in F1, see if the car can go fast. Once you apply that to health, as the chap I'm talking about, I can't remember his name, is, um, it undermines, I think, undermines the principle of homeostasis in terms of what health is, because you couldn't really describe his lifestyle as being anywhere near normally adjusted, Mm -hmm. which I would associate as a sweet spot for mental health, is that he is constantly on a daily basis he's going through a ritual of scans, nutrition interventions, exercise. Mm. He's, he's constantly hooked up to machines. He can't socialize and go out and have a drink and be with friends. So his entire life now revolves around making himself healthier.
2: So he's, he's like a billionaire lab rat.
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which I think there's a sort of irony to it. Is mm. it. As you alluded to earlier, Dan, like health is probably the easier of the ones to achieve. Because it's, you've got all the resources and all the tools to be healthy within yourself, uh, whereas performance, that's not necessarily true.
1: Yeah, Gary, maybe you'll be able to speak to this one or help me. But uh, <laughs> something I've always sort of uh, mused upon, really, is the the separation between, you know, what is health, right? So how do you really separate being healthy from being happy slash content. If we say contentment is the goal in life to feel generally more happy than you are sad, Mm -hmm. then health is really just a vehicle to allow you to do that. So even if we're talking about longevity, if you have a miserable life that you don't enjoy, then what's the use in being alive longer, right? So health, uh, if a longevity point of view, is to provide you with more time to enjoy your family and friends and mm-hmm. things you enjoy doing right and then in a day-to-day respect if you're bed bound or if you can't move around you can't do then you're limited by your health to have happiness so really that's what we're is about isn't it is enjoying your life and being happy and health helped you do that so if you are in this chap situation if he's if every day is a chore having to do all of these things, even though all of his blood works great, you might go, well, is that health because he's not happy? I actually think from listening to the bloke, he is pretty happy. Yeah. And he loves doing what he's yeah. doing. So I think in that regard, you'd probably go, if it works for you kind of thing. Yeah. But then you could equally say that to someone who is like one of these rock climbers that doesn't use a harness (laughs) i mean i don't know to what's getting you that as healthy or not but it's certainly Mm -hmm. high risk for longevity (laughs) Mm -hmm. um but if they're living their life to the fullest and they're enjoying it then you couldn't argue that that's not a healthy healthy way to be so i don't maybe gareth's (laughs) point is that separation of if ultimately what we're looking for is contentment and happiness Mm -hmm. in life is health really just a, a part of that
2: I think so. Yeah, I think I think it's a big part of it. I mean, it's not you know it is also possible to not have your health and still be content and happy. You know, there there are people who learn to you know there, there are people who have degenerative conditions and they can still have really good, meaningful, fulfilling lives and you know do, do and accomplish a lot of things. So I don't I don't think it's it's not sort of an absolute requirement, but I'm, I would say it sure how makes it easier. And I think most people who have some you know a very difficult health condition, they probably prefer not to have it. I, I would I would say in the main. Um, but I think absolutely, like having that sort of—if we're talking physical health, having having mental health, yeah, like we 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 feel good. I mean, it, people use the word like well-being, but if you just swap it around, it's like it's being well. Right? Like it's, it, it's it's that idea, and that that is going to be a little bit individual. Right? But I do think most of us probably, you know, if there's kind of like a bell curve, I think most people are probably kind of you're, there's going to be kind of the centre group, and then you're a little bit left and right of centre, and then there's people a bit more at an extreme. And you'll probably find someone who is you know doing rock climbing without a harness. They're probably a little bit out there and it's a tricky one. I mean, I think I think psychologists and, and, and other people will debate the fact, they'll go, is this person like, are they okay psychologically? You know, it, it, is is there a, you know yeah, but I- it's, it's you know, some of them do seem to be pretty content, individuals, but you know, to engage in that kind of risk, it's hard to know. Same thing with with, you know, um we could probably pick a few of the tennis players who are still going. And that's like how many slams do you need? Like some of them, some of the male players. Um, and again, you know, it's is, is that more like a temperamental thing within the person that they just have a sort of a... They're wired essentially to have kind of a monofocus and they're, they're, they're just, that is when they're at their happiest, just doing like this one thing. And yeah, because some of see, us are more
0: generalised. We think. seem to have a dual standard around acceptance of putting yourself in physical harm in different contexts. Mm. So there's sort, of, there's sort of putting yourself in the way of likely harm on the basis that other people quite like watching you do what you do mm. and then somebody else who hasn't got an audience putting themselves in likely harm we immediately assume that there is something wrong with their mental health mm. why would they want to injure themselves why would they want to harm themselves yeah and yeah. yet this is this is almost a given mm-hmm. of certain activities we watch ufc fighters only be able to end fights by either submitting or knocking out the other individual Yeah. I mean, it's just a dual standard that I've I str- struggle with. It's probably why there's a debate. Probably why we've spent an hour raising more questions <laughs> over this than we have answers. Yeah.
1: Well, d- mate, definitely, and I think the, the most clear and obvious example yeah. of that is the way people justify what you'd now call fat shaming, I guess, by going, "Oh, it's so unhealthy for that person," or like, "Oh no, I'm not saying. I'm just saying. Well, they're overweight, and it's really bad for their health." It's like do they have a concern about the rock climber or the ufc fighters we, we, i mean i love ufc but we're watching people basically um ensure degenerative brain conditions more or less with like the you know if we're worried about rugby and yeah. all, all the storms going on in rugby about head conditions and you're watching people get knocked out have seizures you know and we're watching that like, oh these guys are such dedicated athletes and yet if someone's overweight it's oh it's so bad for that you just that that's yeah. a completely um uh, sort of red herring that people's prejudice towards people that are overbe- uh, obese is because of a concern for their health it's not that at all. It's, it's an ability to pat yourself on the back for something that's probably largely not actually even anything of your own doing other than just listening to your body and your environment mm-hmm. to say i'm not like that person i'm in some way but that, that's what that is yeah. but it's a good example of that how we have completely different standards for what we accept of what, how people interact with health risks.
0: Right, again, I feel we could go on for some time, but we're going to draw it to a close there. Um, thank you very much for listening, and uh, thank you guys for thank you. thank you. Thank you. I'll play players out. <laughs> it's
1: like the Wii music. Yeah, we love <laughs> this <laughs> outro. It's great. It's good. <laughs> it's weirdly
0: become the signature thing. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have us? Thanks,
1: guys. We'll, uh, stop, stop, <laughs> stop
0: music one. That's become the trademark. Uh, <laughs>